0: Welcome to Conscious Pathways, the podcast where we explore the intersection of education and social justice through transformative conversations. I'm your host, Brittany, and today I have a wonderful guest to share with you, Amanda Thomas. Amanda has been a preschool teacher for the past 10 years and currently works as the director of a Reggio-inspired preschool in San Diego. Amanda is passionate about child-centered and play-based learning. She's earned her master's degree in early childhood education, but feels most of her knowledge comes from years of working with amazing teachers and leaders in the field. Amanda and I have had the pleasure of working together in two different preschool settings, and I learned so much from her over the years. She's such an inspiring human. She's constantly trying to learn and grow, and I'm just so proud of where we've both been, but really proud to see how she's grown as a teacher from those early years of us teaching together to her now being the whole director of a school. And I'm so proud and excited. And this whole conversation, just it just had so much ease to it. We covered so many topics from teacher burnout to reggio and play-based schools. Um, I'm just really excited to share this with you. So let's hop into that interview. Welcome to Conscious Pathways. Today, I have Amanda joining me. Hi. I've been so excited to have you on. Um, We we go way back. I don't even know how many years we have known each other at this point, but I think we met each other when we were like in our baby teacher era, like when we had just kind of started Mm -hmm. teaching.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and our I was 20-something, I think we've known each other for maybe seven years, does that sound uh, right?
0: That seems about right, yeah, I think that seems about right, I think before, I didn't have my bachelor's yet, I think I was still in community college, I think you were too, right? Yep. Well, we were baby teachers.
1: We've (laughs) been through undergrad and grad school and many years of being in the field together. So
0: <laughs> yes, it's, it's been amazing. It's been just amazing. And I, I've always loved working with you and learning from you. And I think of all of the because, I mean, when we started working together the school that we originally started working together in, I hadn't really had too much like full time experience teaching. So that was like my first like I'm in the classroom. I am not the assistant. I am now a teacher. So I was kind of all over the place. <laughs> and so like you know when you're you're first starting you're like looking to all of your mentors around you and you're looking at all the teachers around you and I remember you being one of the teachers that I was like I want to be like you
1: one day (laughs) um I feel the same exact way about you and I've been just thinking about and coming on the podcast how proud I am of you and just how cool it is when um teachers or people in the field meet each other and can kind of support each other throughout Mm -hmm. um all the years and changes and um I feel so lucky that I know you and I um (laughs) I feel like you and I have kind of like over time like reached out when we needed help with anything or um I mean you you got me my dream job (laughs) so I'm forever thankful for that
0: (laughs) I was very excited to just poach you over. I was like, no, you want to be here with us, right?
1: (laughs) It took me, I don't know if you remember, but it took me a little bit of time. I feel like you were there for a while before I finally was like, no, she's right. (laughs) It's time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Finally. I think I had been talking to you about this place for like so long. And then we had an opening. I was like, hey, you know what? (laughs) This this would be perfect.
1: Um. (laughs) Yeah, I guess just for your listeners, I, um, you and I worked together. i worked at three preschools, and the second one that I worked at, I had been there for a little while, and then you started. Um, and you and I became friends, and um, I feel like I learned from you all the time. And, um, and I think that we kind of saw things at that school that Uh, maybe weren't really like how we thought things should be done in early childhood. And, um, I feel like I was almost sort of stuck because this was, again, the second preschool that I worked at and the first Mm -hmm. one was so much worse. (laughs) And I was like, no, this is it. Like I, and you know, there's fear there when you try something new. Um, but then you, um, you started teaching at the school that I work for now Mm -hmm. And you were like, hey, you should come interview. And um, again, there was like hesitation. But I um, I interviewed and I started teaching there. And um, I started working for them in 2017. And then I just, it's the most magical place in the whole world. And I am so thankful that you <laughs> told me about it. It's um, a Reggio-inspired school in San Diego. And it's just the most magical place in the whole world. I <laughs>
0: couldn't agree more (laughs) I when I left I left to go to LA to finish my my degree and they were offering me slightly cheaper like tuition to go in person than online and I was like well college is expensive (laughs) (laughs) so otherwise I feel like I would probably still be there today (laughs) yeah Um, but I I'm so excited to have you on and and yeah this is probably going to be our entire interview is just us just gushing over just how excited we are <laughs> so just Nothing be prepared happened. for just a podcast <laughs> full of just love <laughs> um, <It's... laughs> but so tell me a little bit about how you got into early childhood education I don't think I ever asked you that in all these years of us knowing each other <laughs> what is <laughs> or what inspired you how are you here?
1: It's funny because I listened to your first episode where you sort of spoke about how you got into the field and I feel like my story is pretty similar. Um, I grew up taking care of other kids. My grandma had um, an at-home daycare um, and it was pretty crazy. I'm 34, so she got away with a lot of stuff that maybe like wouldn't happen now. And she did a, a lot of stuff right. Um, she got it right a lot of the time, but one of the things was when I was older, I got to help take care of the babies and I loved that. Um, I still love that. And, um, and then you get older and I babysat as a teenager and as a young adult. Um, but like you said in that first episode, it was a lot of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do until I get, what I'm really gonna do you know when I (laughs) grow up and um and I had all the people around me saying like that's nice that you like to play with babies but like what are you (laughs) what are you working towards you know that's not an end goal um and there's no money in that field and so I sort of had this idea that um working with kids was something I could do until I figured out what I really wanted to do. Okay, so I started working at a daycare um, inside of a gym. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that. Where, like, yes, go and work out. I've um, been to
0: one of those as a child. Did not love my experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, because when you work there, like the hiring process is just like some young guy who works at the gym being like, "Why do you want to work here?" And I was like, "I like kids," and that was enough. Um, So I worked there, but then through that, I met a family who, um, I ended up just like really falling in love with their baby girl and, um, babysitting for them. And, um, I think that we as teachers, like we love all of our kids, but there are just some kids throughout our career that we're always going to remember. And, um, So I started babysitting for this family, and eventually I became their, like, full-time live-in nanny. And then, so again, taking care of kids, taking care of her as a baby and a toddler, and she had two older siblings as well. And then through that, I met her preschool teachers, and um, they were like, hey, you should work here if, you know, whenever you're done being a nanny. And so that's what I did, and that was my... (laughs) My first preschool that I worked at, which I mentioned, there's a lot of, um, like nice and happy memories there too. But I think, Mm -hmm. uh, the more experience I gained and the more classes I took, the more I realized that the things that, uh, were kind of happening at that preschool were not, um, Mm -hmm. what I thought should be happening in an early childhood environment. Mm -hmm. So, um i took a second teaching job a few years later um at the school where you and i met and i worked there for a few years and then finally i uh i started working where i work now and um i love it (laughs) i
0: i love that i love just how our our kind of stories aligned in so many ways and i know a lot of other people can probably connect with that too of this that you know, teaching doesn't make very much money. Like you, early childhood is kind of like this gateway career to like other things. Like, oh, you, you want to, you like working with kids, go teach kindergarten or go do this. And it's kind of just disregarded when in actuality, there's so much beauty in early childhood and there's so much joy in early childhood. And it's, it's teaching on a different level, but it's still teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I I remember feeling so embarrassed, like in my early career. When people ask me what I did, and I would say, oh, my a preschool teacher, and I would always say, like, a preschool teacher, I'd never just say, I'm a teacher, or I, I teach, or, like, I'm an educator, because um, I just didn't feel like, oh, I'm not on that level, you know, I just teach preschool, and it's like, no, <laughs> this is such an important career, and it's a professional job, and, you know, it should be taken seriously by the people in the career, and it should be taken seriously by the community, because it matters. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, um, I definitely relate to all of that. And I feel like even (laughs) getting my master's degree was sort of a way to be like, take me seriously. I'm a smart person. This is an important field. The first five years are so important. And, um, and even still after all of that, um, being in the infant room again and having my master's degree and people being like, Okay, but what are you going to do now that you have your master's degree? And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> I know so much more now about how to give the best care to these babies. Mm-hmm. And um I'm a director now, which is really cool and fun. But I um I don't know, I think teaching is so important. Teaching preschool is so important, whether it's the infant mm-hmm. room or um, you and I at the school, it's continuity of care. So you start off with one group and you're with them the whole time, which is beautiful and, um, gives you a chance to work with, um, so many different age groups, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I definitely relate to sort of this feeling of, no, like this is serious and it's important. And this can be the job that you like, I hope to be a preschool teacher someday. That can be enough
0: (laughs) yes yes it is enough it is more than enough like preschool teaching it is such an important like you said those first five years are so important for a student's you know development and you know generating their love for learning and their love for education and you know building up those social emotional skills there's so much that goes into it and it's so important so integral (laughs) and yes more people should want to be preschool teachers because it's fantastic (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it really is <laughs> yes yes
0: so we've talked a little bit kind of touched a little bit that um you know the school that we both worked at the second one was um like a, a reggio inspired preschool and i know i've mm-hmm. mentioned it briefly on the podcast about reggio but maybe you could take a moment to just talk about reggio <laughs> um there's there's a lot of elements that go into it and i know when i I had heard about it in some of my college classes Um, when you go over different, you know, educational philosophies, they would kind of, they'd have like a sentence on Reggio, Reggio (laughs) Amelia, this is what it is. Anyways, (laughs) Um, I I don't think when I first started there that I really knew what Reggio was or what a Reggio inspired preschool was um, until I started working there and started doing research and trying to understand and learning from all the other really amazing teachers who are still there at the yes. school, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just remember looking at their classrooms and learning so much about their interactions and how they handled it. And yeah. um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about Reggio?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, same thing for me. I knew nothing. I um, what, When I started teaching preschool, um, because in California, you only need 12 units to be a preschool teacher. Um, so I... I just I didn't know anything about Reggio and um, you know I mentioned my grandma's daycare it was um, in a mobile home like we Reggio wasn't a word that I (laughs) grew up with (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so working where I work now where you and I um, the second school that we worked at together was sort of my first time working at a Reggio school or learning about Reggio and just like you it was um through hands-on experience through watching the teachers around me um I think there are things that are pretty base level that are sort of uh Reggio Emilia inspired things like um process art is so important and um free play but I think there are things that are um, deeper than all of that too like the way the teachers communicate with the children and the families and the community around them um, that almost can't really be taught um at least not in a classroom I feel like I learned so much more just from uh, listening to and observing the teachers around me like you said a lot of them are still there <laughs> they're amazing um we got to work with the best teachers in the world which is, just so cool um and I feel like I I just learned so much about what it means to be respectful to children um Mm -hmm. through listening to the way that these other teachers spoke to the children and Mm um (laughs) I feel like I'm rambling but um (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it's just so hard to explain
0: yeah (laughs) it's it's you're so right like there is an 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 aspect of respect that I feel like I've worked at a number of schools, you know, since then, and, you know, different varieties of schools. So I've worked in schools that have been very kind of very academic based. I've worked in schools that have, you know, been play based or said that they were play based. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've worked in inclusion (laughs) schools. And, you know, of all of them, there's this aspect of respect that I felt like came from, this kind of Reggio background and this Reggio classroom, and also the idea of building that community. So as you mentioned, there is continuity of care. So that means the students that you start with, the goal is that you have those students Mm -hmm. up until, you know, they leave preschool and go off to wherever else they want to go after that. (laughs) Um, And so in some cases, you know, the classroom I started in, we started with two year olds, we would have had them until they were five. And then, you know, but there are some students or some teachers who had their students as they were toddlers, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's just a wild experience to watch that growth. And so it gives you opportunities to really get to know your students, even just, you know, beyond. So, you know, when you start working with them, you know, okay, I know it works for this particular child at nap time. I know on usually how much this child naps, how how much this child generally eats. I know what this child is like on their very best days. And I know... When they're having an off day, <laughs> and I know exactly how to handle when they're having an off day, um, yeah. and so it builds up that community, and it builds up a really solid community with the parents as well, because they're also seeing the same, seeing the same kids, they're hearing about the same kids year after year, you know, at home when they're talking about who did you play with? Oh, I played with this person and this person and this person, yes. and they're the same people that they played <laughs> with last year. <laughs> 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 And it just, it really does build up a lot of community, which I know is one of the pillars of Reggio Mm -hmm. is that community is important. Mutual respect is important and really honoring, you know, the honoring the children and honoring just all the great things that they bring into the classroom and that they are capable and that they are able and really that vision of the child. Um, And of course, most importantly, the environment being the third teacher. I carry that everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere I go. Our environment is the third teacher. So we're really just looking at how is our environment impacting the students. And even in schools that I've worked at that haven't been, you know, specifically Reggio, that is a practice that I continue to bring in. And I'm very intentional about looking around my classroom and making sure that everything is in place so that my students can be successful.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think something about continuity of care too is that you have years to sort of, like you were saying, learn what works best for each specific child. So if you are changing your classroom, um, what works for that specific group when they're two is going to be different than it is at three and four and five. Um, And I think too, something I've been thinking a lot about that, um, I don't know, at least for me, we didn't talk a lot about... um, when I was in school learning how to be a teacher is um, of course how important the relationship between the teacher and the child is, but just the relationship for the teacher with the families and um, also with each other. um, I've just been thinking a lot about how how important all of that is and that there's not really a great way to teach that because (laughs) The school that you and I work for, it just, part of what makes it so magical is that all of the teachers really do um, genuinely get along and want to learn from each other and grow from each other. And there's um, no ego. It's just, I have this great idea and I want to share it with all of you. And um, (laughs) sorry, I'm losing my train of thought again, but uh, just, I think um, when you stay with you know, your co-teacher and your kids and their families, you have to learn how to work with people. And I, for me, I'm a very shy person and I have a lot of like social anxiety. And, um, I think a lot of people who decide to work with children maybe are thinking like, I don't really like working with other adults, but I can work with kids. And the thing is when you work (laughs) and at preschool, you're going to be working with other adults. You're going to have, um, you're your co-teacher and the families that you work with and um you kind of mentioned like knowing who needs what amount of sleep but then you also need to know how to talk to that child's grown-ups about um their sleep needs and how that changes over time and um to be able to work with them for years so um I love Reggio and I love continuity of care and I feel like in a perfect world all preschools would offer continuity of care <laughs> because it does force you out of your shell and it um, mm-hmm. makes you as a person have to learn how to work with other people um, mm-hmm. because you're going to be with them and you're going to be with them for years and yeah. um, and it's such a gift because you get to know people. Uh, so much better. And it gets to a point where if you're with the same co-teacher for years in a classroom, you can, I've had this where you can just like look at the person and they know what you're about to do before you do it. And um, mm. I don't know, there's just so many magical elements. Sorry, my, my mind is just thinking of all the things that are great about <laughs> it. And I'm just trying to tell you all of it at once. No,
0: <laughs> I, I love it. And you're so right. I feel like when I would think back to like the hardest days that I had have in the classroom, it very rarely was because of the actual students themselves. It was often because I just had a weird interaction with the parent or it was just, you know, just having rough interactions with other teachers and, you know, in the school that we both worked at, that really wasn't Ever the case everyone was so amazing and inspiring and it was just such it wasn't like we were being pitted against each other it wasn't just mm-hmm. oh i have to beat that teacher i have to be better than that teacher it was just a truly collaborative environment and everyone was just so amazing and sweet <laughs> and yeah. just just world-class <laughs> teachers I, I feel like this is like an ad i swear it's not ad, but <laughs> 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 just just gushing over the school
1: um and I don't say the name of the
0: school. Yes, mystery ad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was such a, a beautiful part of it when you can find that that school community, like really what you're saying is like, there's a community that you're building with your students in your classroom, right? So that's one aspect of the community that you want the students in your classroom to get along and, and, and work together and learn together and grow together. And another big component of that community is, you know, the parents are a part of that community. Mm-hmm. So making sure that they are authentically engaged in your classroom um, in a way that, you know, culturally makes sense and makes sense for the classroom and, and all of those things that they can actually be engaged in that. Um, and then there's also that school community as well. So like, are your admin, do they have your back,
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: um, you know, or are they just kind of leaving you out to dry to fend for yourself? And all of these things kind of create this environment, right? Where you can have, you know, world-class teachers who genuinely do put their best foot forward and are are creating quality experiences. Because one, one thing I always talk about in my trainings is that we can't expect teachers to go out and be world-class teachers if we haven't given them that experience right so mm-hmm. i can't expect teachers to go out there and be you know have cultural humility and be culturally responsive and relevant in their pedagogies and to do restorative practices and be trauma-informed if i am as your admin if i am actively traumatizing you <laughs> i cannot <laughs> yeah. expect you to then go out there and practice trauma-informed practices if you're not getting that experience from me and right. that's a part of that building that school community so it doesn't just you know, start and end at the teachers, it's the admins, the entire school community, and the whole entire school, you know, climate that contributes to, you know, producing just world class quality education for young people.
1: <laughs> yeah. You said something so important about how do we make sure that um, children and families feel authentically, culturally represented and um, just respected and included. Um, I remember. One of the students that you and I had, I'm not going to say their name, but um, during one of their parent-teacher conferences, and I think this was after you had left to go to school, um, the mom, one of her questions for me, and this is a mom that because of continuity of care and the community in that school felt comfortable enough during parent-teacher conferences to ask me, what are you doing to make sure that my son feels represented in your classroom? Mm. And... Um, I was like, whoa, because <laughs> before that I had worked at schools where teachers weren't even supposed to talk to the parents. I'm not mm-hmm. kidding. Like we weren't, <laughs> it was yeah. like the director talks to the parents and mm-hmm. you just hand them their kid and they go away. So mm-hmm. now I was, um, having to think about how am I, <laughs> what am mm-hmm. I doing to make sure that each child in this classroom feels respected and represented Mm -hmm. um in an authentic way in this classroom and I just love that that mom just knew that she could ask me that and it wouldn't turn into a thing where I was I don't know like we're not going to talk about that or yeah um or got defensive it it just really required me to think and be like there are some more things I could and should and will do to make sure that that happens. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, I feel like that wouldn't have happened if we, um, weren't already having a dialogue, if I didn't know that family so well, if we weren't doing parent-teacher conferences, because a lot of preschools don't even do that, right? Because it's, um, again, it's looking at early childhood, like, you don't need to have parent-teacher conferences, they're just little kids, but it's like, no, you do need to talk to the families. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just i I was just thinking about that moment specifically, but it is so important. And again, it goes back to mm-hmm. building those strong relationships.
0: It does. It does. And authentic family engagement is so important, especially for those moments like you mentioned, where it does make sure that the the parents and the family feel comfortable enough to bring up these topics, or you know, if they, they there's that trust that's built there for them to. Because sometimes, you know, there's things that happen in families that are difficult and they're hard, right? Like, you know, divorce happens, you know, death in the family happens. And Mm -hmm. that can be a really hard, vulnerable conversation to have, especially with a person who is outside of your your household, right? But these things impact how the, you know, the students are interacting with each other. So being able to notice, you know, like, oh, you know what, I've noticed, you know, notice noticed your child has, been, has having a really hard time at nap time. Are they having a really hard time with their friends? They just have a really short temper and that's a little bit off from how they usually are. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything, you know, that's going on at home that I, you know, can be aware of? Or is there anything that's working for you at home? And because of that relationship and that trust was like built way before that, it allows then parents to be like, oh yeah, well, this is what's going on. And Knowing that one, it's going to be confidential, so I'm not just going to go like spreading this <laughs> information. You know, like guess what, so and so said. Uh, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> it's building up that trust in that relationship. That okay, now you can be in a partnership and make sure that you know hard things are going to happen in a child's life, and you know, especially when they're so little and they don't have the tools to you know regulate on their own. They need mm-hmm. people there to help them regulate, and so that then makes me be more aware of okay this, this kiddo, you know, for however it helps much longer, they're just going to need a lot more care and love and attention yeah. <laughs> than they might <laughs> normally need. They just might need a couple extra snuggles more than they might actually need, or just a few more extra minutes to yes. put their shoes on because <laughs> we're having some, you know, some, some power battles right now. But that lets me know like, okay, cool. And you build that partnership. And so that way parents know that they're not alone. We're all working on this together <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll get through it together. And it also helps that school community to be super supportive and helpful. And you know, everyone can kind of step up in a different way and help out families that need that. And it's such a beautiful thing to see when you do have families that are authentically engaged and not just. You can come read a book once a month. It's <laughs> yeah. that is one way to engage. Yes, <laughs> but that might not be the way that every person or every you know family wants and can engage, and so it's really important that we're we're looking at that and we're being mindful of how we can do that.
1: Yeah, I think too that the parents um, that we've worked with or that are at the school now, um, they know how much. Their child's teacher loves them. So when we do have those conversations about so and so is having a really hard time in the classroom lately, um, they're, you know, whatever it is that's going on, um, I feel like the parents still know that that teacher loves that child so much. It's not coming from a place mm-hmm. of like, they bothered me, so I'm going to tattle on them, which I feel like yes. I've worked at schools before where that was sort of it it's like Mm -hmm. I know your child so well and I um can see that they're struggling with something so here's how I'm going to support them and let's work Mm -hmm. together to you know like everybody's on the same team and um Mm -hmm. I know for me too now that I'm a mom we just had parent teacher conferences and it's my first time being the parent (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um I don't know. It's just so nice and so special because right away I was like, let me tell you the stuff that's going on, um, at our home so that if you're seeing anything, you know, maybe you'll be able to better support him. Um, and this, I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing. (laughs) I love it there. And I, um, I guess too, for anyone who's listening to your podcast, who's maybe a new teacher, I think it's so important. Mm. Um, to let you all know if you're working at a school, like one of the first schools that Brittany or I taught at, and you're sort of feeling like this is not at all, um, how I think or hope or want early childhood to look and feel like that there are, um, preschools out there. There's childcare centers, daycares that, that do exist. It's not just wishful thinking that there are magical places where these things do happen, and um, sometimes it just means that um, you need to keep looking, and um, mm-hmm. that you'll find it. Um, we both found it, and yes. <laughs> it exists. It's real.
0: It exists, and it's so real. And that's such a good point because when you're the first, I would say the first couple of years of teaching, you know, the first year is always just really hard because it's. It reminded me of when I worked in restaurants and on the first day, you get a little bit of training, but I know on my first day when I was serving, I just kind of got thrown into it and was just like, you'll figure it out. (laughs) And it was just like, oh, okay. And I know my very first day being, you know, in the classroom, they just kind of put me in there alone. And I didn't even have my credits yet. Like I had, I had signed up for the classes, but they hadn't started yet. Yeah. They
1: were
0: like, okay, have fun. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, is that is that legal? <laughs> I don't know if that was legal, but, you know, looking back on it and just knowing how sometimes you do just kind of get thrown into it and mm-hmm. it's hard. And I know you kind of talked about it a little bit too, that in our first two schools that we worked at, we knew there were some practices that were just seemed off that just didn't seem in alignment with our our values and what and our integrity and things that were important to us we just was like this seems awkward this seems kind of like just developmentally appropriate things you know that we just kind of saw it was just like huh but you're such a like a new teacher that you don't you either don't know how to like kind of speak up against it you know you don't Mm -hmm. know who to talk to about this or it's just so common that you're like oh okay am i i must be the one who's just like not getting it (laughs) and Trust me. If if you feel if it feels <laughs> off in your soul, <laughs> it probably is a little off, and that's why I think it's so important that when we're becoming teachers, to just really sit down and think about what is important to you in a classroom. What is important to you, like values wise, integrity wise, um, just in your just general everyday life. Like, what is this something? What are the things that are most important to you? Mm-hmm. And Write those down, have those with you wherever you go so that you can just constantly be checking back in with that. And like, does this feel right to me? Because working in a place where it is in opposition to your values, it will tear down you, your mental health. It'll tear down your soul in so many different ways. And for, for me, finding a school that was play-based and was, you know, very child-centered and child-led, that was what worked for me and my soul. <laughs> Yes. and when I started doing that I was like oh okay it clicked right away I was like oh okay no this is the way that I this is the values that I want to take in for when I'm teaching and yes. but there's you know we have the benefit in early childhood that there are so many different philosophies you have like Montessori mm-hmm. you have Reggie you have so many options that it's okay to try out a couple of different mm-hmm. options and see what really works for you and what makes sense for you.
1: (laughs) Such a good point. Um, I think too, something that you kind of just touched on um, Mm -hmm. because we've both worked at schools (laughs) um, that just weren't the best before we finally got to where we wanted to be. Um, And something that I look back on and wish that I had done differently was the first preschool that I worked at, I um, I made a lot of friends there. Like I said mm-hmm. um, in the beginning, I was a nanny and I became friends with one of her preschool teachers. She got me the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started taking child development classes and um, because if, if you don't have any child development um, knowledge or education, you sort of just teach with um, the things that you grew up with and not all of that is developmentally appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyway, so the more classes I took, the more that I looked around and I was like, oh, we're doing a lot of things that aren't developmentally appropriate, um, that aren't kind, that aren't respectful. Um, and, and I also said that I'm a shy person, so I didn't know mm-hmm. um, that I could say something. <laughs> and I feel like, What I did was just sort of hold it all in and um, let a million little things that happened throughout the day really make me uncomfortable and bother me Um, until it got to the point where I just one day went to the director and I was like, basically, this isn't what I said, but I was like, I hate it here. Here's why. like All these things are happening and um, it's not okay. And that's Mm -hmm. great, and I do think that we need to advocate for the future teachers and children that will be at these schools. But I think the first thing I should have done was talk to my colleagues, my co-teachers, and at least try to pass around some knowledge. I don't think it would have worked at the first preschool that I worked at. I do think I tried a little bit, you know, like Mm -hmm. they did a lot of um, product art So, um, I guess for anybody listening, um, it's more developmentally appropriate and more creative to do process Mm -hmm. art. It's better for young children. Um, but product art is kind of when you're, you kind of,
0: you make the template and you tell the child essentially like, we're going to make snowmen. And then you have all the circles, all (laughs) the white circles and all, everything's already cut out for them. And you give them that and you're like, okay, make a snowman. And then like, no, that's not where the eyes go, where to be. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's very, the 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 point of the product or the point of the art is to make the product. Like you want it to look good as a product rather like the process art is, the process is the learning. Yeah. <laughs> so right, the because... end goal is less of my, less of what I care about. It's what are you doing? How are you expressing yourself? Like live your yeah. life. Did
1: you, did you want to make a snowman? <laughs> cool, live your life. Like <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. So, so instead go. of like, The teacher being the one to cut out a bunch of different shapes. If a child wants to use scissors in their art, they're the one who gets to use the scissors. So anyway, the first school that I worked at, they did a lot of product art. That's all they did, actually. There wasn't ever an opportunity to do process Mm -hmm. art. Um, And everybody's art looked the same. It was all together on the wall. Um, Mm -hmm. Teachers... You know, I watched teachers actively fix things on their art. So half the time, like the art wasn't even really done by the children anyway. Um, And, you know, so then I took art curriculum for teachers and I was like, wait a second, this isn't right. (laughs) Um, And when I sort of tried to um, conquer my shyness and my anxiety and Say something to the teachers who had been there way longer than me, and um, made that very clear. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. what if we do more art that's child-centered and respectful, and they get to choose what they do? And there was a lot of pushback with um, the parents need to see how they're learning, and um, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, well, we could take pictures of how they're actually learning. Um, mm-hmm. This was. I think before like iPhones and you could document right away. So it's like we could print yeah. them and write something mm-hmm. up on a poster for how they're learning when, you know, it might just look like they're scribbling, but they're, they are learning so much. And mm-hmm. honestly, even if they weren't learning, they have a right to just scribble. That's, yeah. that's important too. So um, Expression. yeah. So I tried to explain all of this and there was a lot of pushback and I think that that initial pushback sort of shut me down to the point where Mm. again I just held it all in so I guess another thing I think is worth mentioning is like it is important to have these conversations and you might meet people along the way who um don't see eye to eye with you or who want to keep on doing things the way that Mm -hmm. they've always been done but you will find uh teachers and friends in the field who do know what's developmentally appropriate and who will fight for the same things that you value and, um, to maybe just not give up because before you told me about the school that I worked at, that I work at now, I was very, very close to quitting. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's nothing, it just doesn't exist. And everybody kept on telling me that mm-hmm. it's just idealistic and it's not real. And, you can't have a classroom where kids just play all day. And I, you know, all these things. So I guess um, I'm on my soapbox about it does exist again. Does <laughs> and you exist. will find it and, um, and it's okay to speak up for yourself and for the kids at the program that you're at. Yes, 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 yes. A trillion times. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that yes, everything about that,
1: like, I've
0: definitely been there and just on the verge of just leaving education because it does it does feel like you're kind of just screaming into the void sometimes. Yes. <laughs> of You know, like, you know, with education, that's, that's the beauty of it is that best practices do continue to change, you know, over years and time, right? So the things that we did in classroom 50 years ago aren't things that we still do in the classroom anymore. And mm-hmm. that's because our understanding of, children and development and you know all of these different developmental domains our understanding of their fine motor skills their cognitive development their social emotional skills like all of this stuff has like been developing over time and it's a, it's beautiful because that means we just get to learn more about this wonderful population that we get to work with yes. and also <laughs> it means that we just get you know more professional development and we get to learn but It can, yeah, it can just feel like you're screaming into the void sometimes, and and there are other places that you can go. And I know for me, when I've worked in in schools and environments similar to that, where it's just, you kind of know, you kind of have an understanding of like how the best practices have shifted. Like in the 90s, you know, it was like, oh yeah, it's a preschool, so it's got to be super colorful. It just (laughs) looked like a rainbow had vomited all over the classroom. (laughs) Like... It yeah, was, like I I remember that from when I was in school. You know, we look at like pictures from like the 90s and the early 2000s. Like, <laughs> color was king, right? We we wanted those kids to know color. <laughs> yes, which is it was great. Yes, we we love colors. We love learning colors, but there, it was too much. <laughs> and so now we know that best practices have kind of shifted away from this like mm-hmm. overly like overly saturated and color environment because it can be really overstimulating for students. Um, and we know that we can still have color, but we can have it in just a more moderate way. <laughs> just, you know, little sprinklings of color places. You know, and I remember the school that I worked at. There was this like, there was just color everywhere. <laughs> it was, it was, it was like I had walked into a '90s classroom, and it was just everything was colorful.
1: Yes, and, and I was like,
0: oh, hello. <laughs> and I remember kind of trying to bring up, you know, like, oh, maybe we can like. Mute some things, or we can do this and like getting pushback on that. And I'm like, oh, it's beautiful, it's color. And I'm like, yes, but also it's overstimulating. Like, my tutorials are coming into the classroom and they are span- Wire, stimulated, really. yeah wired immediately <laughs> from drop off. And I'm like, well, maybe we can shift some things. And so, you know, what did help in that moment was bringing in just research and just sharing that, just kind of casually, just sharing it, right? Because sometimes we get excited about something and we bring it in and we're like, we're all doing it wrong. We got to do it this way. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and no one wants to hear that, right?
1: No. <laughs>
0: but bringing in research like, oh yeah, I found this really cool article. I wanted to share it. Um, and just really small actionable ways that we can shift to make it a little less stimulating. Those things I feel like help a lot. And it can kind of help your mental health and mental sanity and also help to make the environment. Because when you've been working somewhere for so long, it can be hard to think about leaving because you already have a connection with your students Mm -hmm. and you don't want to leave your students, but also, you know, your mental health matters so much more than any job at the end of the day. So you have to take care of you. And if it's draining you to the point where you just can't enjoy your job, you can't enjoy a regular life, then like, yes, there needs to be changes. And <laughs> I know that I've gotten to spaces in, in my career where I was just so burned out and overstimulated, you know, just going to school and going and working and just doing the most. Just, just yeah. doing the most. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just been times when I've taken a step back and taken a break from mm-hmm. early childhood education and I think the first time I took a step back because I got burnt out, I just, I felt like I failed, you know, like I was like, oh wow, like I failed, I couldn't teach. But when I came back to education, like a year or two later, I was so much more energized and I had so much more passion and I was ready. And I look back on it and when I was burnt out, I was not my best, that was not my best work. That was not my best teaching. And I was not giving my students my best because I literally had nothing left to give, you know, yeah, like that really kind of stereotypical, like you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah, my, my cup was blown <laughs> dry. Like <Yeah. laughs> there was there was nothing coming out of that cup. And I just know that I was not bringing my best self and I was not able to be the best teacher for those students. I wasn't, you know, a great co-teacher for the people that I was working with. And so knowing, you know, burnout is, it doesn't just kind of happen overnight. It's a very gradual kind of process until it reaches that point where it just, you got nothing else to give
1: Mm -hmm. and just
0: kind of knowing yourself and knowing that okay maybe that means I take a little step back from being in the classroom and that doesn't mean that you have to walk away from education altogether. Um, (laughs) I think from all the guests that I've had so far in my in my podcasting career (laughs) of all the guests that I've had I think it really does show that there's so many opportunities within education Mm -hmm. that if you need to take a break from the classroom it's okay And maybe you go and you do something else for a little bit. Maybe you look at directing, maybe you look at, you know, there's like being an education coordinator, there's all these, or nonprofits, there's all these different ways that you can still engage with education, but also protect your inner peace.
1: Yeah. And I think um, something too, just talking about burnout, something that Gen Z is really good at is I love sort of too. setting those boundaries and speaking up for themselves. And, mm-hmm. um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is also you should work somewhere where if you want to take a step back, um, but you're a valued employee, you've been doing a good job mm-hmm. again, I, sorry, I keep talking about the preschool that I work at, now, but, um, <laughs> there are opportunities where when you're feeling really burnt out for you to be like, I don't want to leave here but I feel like I can't be in a classroom eight hours a day five days a week anymore and then maybe they can move you to a sub position where you're still with the kids but um you know you're not the one who's working with the parents most of the time and things like that or like me you know talking assessments and yeah yeah being like I I feel ready to be a director when an opportunity comes up or Mm -hmm. um I took two years off of where I work now to have a home daycare and to be, um, a foster parent and then a biological parent. I did a lot in that two years. (laughs) I got my master's degree. So I, I took some time off, but I feel like I was welcomed back with open arms. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a testament to young people, um, sort of demanding to be treated again, like respected in the workplace and Mm -hmm. to be like you, Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm a great teacher and I'm doing a good job, then maybe I can take a few years off and come back or maybe I can yes. do a different position. Like, you know, those mm-hmm. um, conversations are so important because like you said, working with children is amazing and it's also exhausting. And um, and yeah, teachers do get burnt out and sometimes we need to try something else for a little bit and that's okay. And it, I don't think that that makes you... Uh, week as a teacher I feel like that's such a strength to be able to say you know when you need to try something new even if it's just for a little bit and Mm -hmm. you're not a failure um if you need to branch out
0: (laughs) yes yes I feel like I wish I would have heard that more in my my early teaching career because I think I I stayed in the classroom for a little bit longer than I now probably wouldn't have stayed it as long as I did in that particular classroom just because I knew that I was getting so incredibly burnt out and it, it wasn't just the classroom it was life things too. so yeah <laughs> but I was just incredibly burnt out and I stayed a little bit longer because I was like well I can't quit and I have to keep doing this and blah 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 and but now looking back on it, it's like yeah no it, it's an incredible strength to know Your boundaries and to know your limits and to know when you just need to take a step back and take a break. Mm -hmm. I know I've talked about this on the podcast, but one, being a teacher, being in the classroom, that is a form of advocacy. And part of being an advocate and being a really effective advocate is knowing when to step up and when to step back. In knowing Mm -hmm. that when you step back, that someone else is also going to step right up, right? So you're not, you know, leaving people high and dry. There's going to be more people because you're part of a community who wants you to be cared for right mm-hmm. and if that's the community that is loving and kind and respectful you're always going to be welcome back with the open arms right and yes so do you have any tips and tricks for either not quite avoiding burnout but just how how do we navigate burnout do you have any tips and tricks for teachers
1: <laughs> um i mean i think a lot of the things that we're sort of touching on now, like, mm-hmm. knowing when you do need to stay, take a step back, and um, what you just said about knowing that it doesn't make you weak or not a good teacher, you're, mm-hmm. um, I feel like sometimes teachers, we kind of have a hero complex where we feel like if we, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that when I left my first school, part of why it took so long was because I was like, if I'm not here, these Mm -hmm. kids are going to have a horrible time. You know, I sort of Mm -hmm. (laughs) built myself up to be this superhero. And I, um, we love our students and we want to be there for Mm -hmm. them. But if we're feeling burnt out or even just unhappy where we're at and we're not being our best, like you said, that's, we're not giving those kids what they need anyway. Mm -hmm. And there are other teachers who can come in and help and, um, So I think knowing when you need to take a break, scheduling, Mm -hmm. um, I like to schedule just like a random day off in the month, (laughs) just to relax. And I know that that's a really privileged thing to say. Not everybody has Mm -hmm. PTO. If you can do that, I think Mm -hmm. that's a great thing to do. Um, I think building a community, having a friend group, knowing, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can't afford to take a day off every month, like what can you do to find some time for yourself um, in or out of the classroom? I think talking to your directors or admin about what you need. um, Mm. I'm very new in the director role. I feel like I still have so much to learn and I hope that I'll um, get better at it as time goes on. But something that I thought about that I really wanted to do... um, because I was a teacher in the classroom and I, I just love learning, I love reading. I am a big child development dork. It's really important to me, but you're just exhausted when you're with the kids all day and you don't wanna go home and then you know read a, a journal article or <laughs> whatever it is. So I, as a director, I wanted to make it a point to be like, you deserve time in your work day to do that if it's something you want to do. And we're still trying to work the kinks out of it, but the goal is to have every teacher have even just an hour during the month to like mm-hmm. just read or listen to a podcast like this one or <laughs> yeah. um, learn and grow and develop however they see fit and then share what they learn with the rest of the teachers. I think um, that's so important. So again, I guess what I'm saying is when you're a teacher and you have ideas like that about what you need, um, you should be able mm-hmm. to talk to your director about that. And um, if you have a good director, they won't feel like offended or hurt if you have ideas yes. for how to make the school better. You know, they they want it to be the best school it can be. So um, just saying what you need, um, I think is so important. Yes,
0: yes, a, a thousand times, yes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it is yes it's so important i love the intention of building in that time for teachers to do professional development during the work day because like you said it's it's hard when you've been with the kids all day and then you go home and you might have a family at home or you might just have other responsibilities at home or you just might be tired yeah <laughs> just, sometimes you just want to veg on the couch and watch tiktoks and like yes i get that been there <laughs> like you just want to like veg and disassociate I get it so I love the intention of having that kind of just being built in of it's important that we do this and we keep on top of our game and I also recognize that your time is important so I love that I do have one last question for you before I let you go and that is how do you reimagine education
1: Ooh. (laughs) um I guess in my perfect world every early childhood um classroom or daycare or wherever the child is at during the day they have an opportunity to be outside um to get dirty to be covered in paint if that's something that they're interested in um that they can sing and dance and um Lisa Murphy, she's the ooey gooey lady. She um, has some books out, and one of them talks about the seven different things that children should get every day. And I feel like, um, I I don't have them written down with me, so I'm not gonna be able to say them, but those seven things, all children, yes, they should be able to do those um, every day. And they should be with adults who care about them and respect them and wanna hear what they have to say and put their needs first um and who understand (laughs) sorry this list is going on and on but who understand what they need and where they're at and can meet them where they're at um I just feel like I don't know that children should be in a safe and loving space where they also get to get messy and um be loud and (laughs) build things and um, unfortunately, I know that there's a lot of schools out there where that doesn't get to happen. So, mm. I would like to see education where all children eight and under get to play every day, yes. <laughs> yes. most of the time outside, ideally. <laughs> um, <laughs> ideally, yes. That would be my future education.
0: <laughs> yes, I I adore everything about that, and yes, it. Give kids outside. Let them play. Let them get messy. You know, let them take risks whenever you know appropriate and you know possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when we're working in centers, we have you know risk avoidance and stuff. All that. Like, I like that, but it's also a part of their learning to try things and to get messy. I think my favorite my favorite days when I was teaching was that it would <laughs> rain and it doesn't. It rains a little bit more nowadays, but back in the day, it didn't rain that much in San Diego. Yeah. And but when we would have one of those rare kind of rainy days, it's just to mm-hmm. take the kids outside and to splash and to get muddy and to just get dirty and to play and you know go to the mud kitchen and just get completely filthy. And was it a hot mess to clean all that up? Yes, <laughs> floors were disgusting. We had clothes everywhere. Like yes, it was just. <laughs> But by the end of it, we got we got pretty good at being, like, well-oiled machine when it came to rainy day. Yeah. Plagues. We're like, okay, we got this. But it it was rough. But the joy on those kids' faces and yeah. the things that they get to learn and just the sensory experience. Amazing. I want all kids to be able to experience that if they Definitely. want to. Obviously, not all kids want that. And they can play in their own way. But yeah messy play
1: <laughs> big yes.
0: advocate for some sensory messy play let them be messy kids are washable it's fine
1: <laughs> it is yeah we have babies um out in the rain in the mud and like you just said you can <laughs> you can rinse them off and put them in dry clothes and <laughs> exactly. they will be good as new
0: <laughs> they will be good as new <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a pleasure. I just feel like my cheeks hurt from smiling just the entire time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been so nice talking to you. Can I just say, um, we're all so proud of you. This podcast is so great. Everybody should listen to it. Um, (laughs) This is just amazing. And it's so great. And it's been so nice talking to you.
0: Thank you so much. It's, it's been a joy. I've been so excited to just have you on and thank you for being such a big inspiration to me and being such like just a guiding force and me continuing on. Like, I don't, I don't know if I, if I didn't work with you in that second school that we worked, the first school that we worked together in, but the second school I worked at, I don't know if I would have continued. I think I just would have been like, I don't know if this is the thing for me, <laughs> but seeing you and your co-teacher at the time, like, you guys had such great rapport together and the way the students interacted with you and the way that you were with the classroom. Like when I think about the epitome Mm -hmm. of a preschool teacher, like you are, you are the vision that comes to
1: mind. Same to you. uh, Thank
0: you for being an inspiration and just a beautiful all around human being. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Conscious Pathways. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, Conscious Pathways, wherever you get your podcasts. And did you know we have a YouTube channel where we put the video version of this podcast every single week? If you're into video podcasts, you can follow us on YouTube at Conscious Pathways. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, co-workers, colleagues, children, whoever might be interested. It really does help the podcast to grow and reach more listeners just like you. And until next time, wherever you are on your conscious journey, don't forget to lead with courage and kindness. And I'll see you then for more transformative conversations in education. Bye!